Today we are in Berlin at a special edition of Berlin Atonal Title X100 that is totally dedicated to Yanis Xenakis, the Romanian-born Greek French avant-garde composer, architect and mathematician. The festival takes place at Kraftwerk, a former power station hosting art events in the center of the city. Right now, we are at the backstage room talking to Labour, a sonic collaboration between Farah Nas Hatam and Colin Harklander, who are co-curating the happening with the outer team. Their interdisciplinary practice is based on sound and explores perception and social situations, heightening sensory awareness, promoting active listening and bringing importance back to one's inner ear. Yesterday, they premiered their largest to-date work called Sun Gazing, involving seven string players, 30 percussionists, four dancers and three visual artists. We were very interested in the idea of collaboration and how you approach it, how, how you started to work together and also how does work between other artists happen in your work? Yeah, I think, yeah, like Labour, labor came together very interestingly actually over our kind of shared love for Zanakis. Oh, really? Yeah, so like, musically we far and I really bonded over the music of Zanakis, so it's actually oh, quite really? special that we're here. We began playing together already uh, 10 years ago, so we've been collaborating uh, together as a duo for 10 years now. Yeah, we were Haklander Hatam before. Uh -huh. And uh, Colin was always uh, doing things on percussion, and I was always doing electronics. And we were touring, and we were starting to use space actually by placing drums, but just uh, in the space, and then playing mm -hmm. them ourselves, and uh, hitting them, and moving, and kind of like activating the acoustic space. Uh -huh. And this started already in 2013, actually. Almost yeah, almost 10 years. So that's we started it actually very early on. But the group percussion uh, ensemble that we're working with now, mm -hmm. um, who are basically um, not trained percussionists or anything, but they're kind of like following instructions and the score. Um, and um, we started that in 2018 with our first show here at the Craft Arc. Uh -huh. So that's kind of like when that started. So, so you really, you really embody this whole idea for this special edition of Xenakis, hmm? Well, I mean, you know, but we've done this thing of like peripheral drummers since 2018. So uh, before that, but I mean, we did come together through Xenakis because Colin was actually playing and learning the percussion pieces, and I was always really interested in the electronic music and uh, a lot of the systems that he had built and also the his approach of mathematics um, in music and using things like Markov chains and SIFs mm. to actually um, uh, make compositional systems that he was then working with. So I was studying those things and also studying sound synthesis and Colin was studying a lot of the percussion pieces mm. and we both loved Zanakis and that's kind of like when we met we were like really connected over that mm. actually. And, and your present is so uh, so close to Atono in general, isn't it? Yeah, I mean we've been working with them since in, the in the role of the artist. Sorry. Before in the role of the artist. Uh, yeah, but actually we've known them since 2013 because we uh -huh. ran an experimental music venue in Berlin called NK uh -huh. and uh, we met them there. They invited us to curate the program at OM in 2013 with the very first Daytona mm -hmm. and we've been involved in some capacity 
since then. Yes, and this year you also co-curate yeah. the festival itself yeah. and we were interested how uh, taking on these different roles, how it feels, what's your experience, what the challenges are for you this year and how do you find yourself uh, in these two roles and also do you have any methodology be behind your cura curating practice? And yeah, how does the selection process look like? How, how do you put everything together? Yeah, I, I wanted to first maybe, maybe, add, like maybe first answer a bit your, your question about the nature of the collaboration mm. and labor and stuff, because far you were mentioning yeah, the group sorry, percussionists really and stuff, and this is kind of one of many examples of the collaboration and stuff like I think uh, yeah with with labor with, with the project labor collaboration is is very important and I think in life collaboration is really important like we survive through collaboration through, through working together or through coming together on ideas through and I think what's really <clears throat> important to us in many instances is we work many times with people coming from very dis different disciplines or that are quite distant from our own. For example, maybe like we have a piece with a, uh, a singer who's a traditional Persian Kurdish vocalist and we make a piece together and we're coming very much from computer music, avant-garde music and stuff. And what's very important for us in every case is we try to maintain distinction. So maintain rather than meeting kind of halfway, uh -huh. everyone, everyone feeling as full as, as possible in their element uh -huh. and then composing all of these things together. Kind of, kind of multiplicity of different individual voices. Yeah, like different practices yeah. coming yes. together. And then recontextualizing it and presenting it all together as a whole. Mm. So it's like solidarity through distinction. Amazing. And uh, referring to Xenakis, what or maybe where? Because this is such a personal, personal uh, persona for your practice. But where do you see importance in legacy of Yanis Xenakis? And maybe what I, where do you see his influence in contemporary artist work? Um, yes. What was the meaning for you of bringing? this ovoir of Xenakis to the 21st century? Yeah, I mean, his practice of like um, building these really big spectacles of like multimedia um, pieces which involved using lights and many, many speakers and building structures in which his electroacoustic pieces then would be played in. This is something that we're like experiencing actually at Etonam now yes. because he was doing actually quite radical things that people still don't do today. Mm. Mostly also because of budget, but also because, for, I mean, in terms of do like technology. Yeah, um, he did a piece called uh, Persepolis, and this happened mm -hmm. in Iran. In the 60s. Yes. In the 60s, and there he is using 59 speakers, two lasers, 92 uh, huge beam um, light beams, and uh, what else, like 150 children carrying torches <laughs> in the hills, running down, and uh, creating these kind of like texts, Zoroastrian texts, that are speaking about light. So this is kind of, for that time, it was massive. Or you doing something like 
with 400 speakers and lasers and mirrors that are deflecting the lasers mm. in the space. I mean, these kinds of things, like, who does them? Mm. You know, it it's, it was crazy what he was doing. Mm. So I think that that is actually kind of, like, still unparalleled today. But in terms of, like, this kind of situation in which we're in this, yeah. like, industrial building and the building comes to life and it's, like, a very special situation because it's not an academic situation. Mm. And where do you see urgency of bringing this experience of spectacle, really, it today? Hmm. Well, I don't know if it's that or just kind of, like, embedding his practice in today because so many artists are actually influenced by him. And um, definitely, like, experimental musicians know him and are definitely influenced by him. Uh, so this, for one, but also just this thing of um, activating a space like that in the way that also we did in our own performance is kind of indebted to the way that he was working. Yeah, and I think, I think the way that Zanakis really came into music, firstly, as a kind of musical outsider. Mm. And I think many kind of experimental musicians also identify with this. Um, mm. And also just the way he was designing systems. Like he was really, he really kind of thinks architecturally. You know, he was previously structural engineer, architect. And so kind of coming in in a very meta level into mm. music and designing these these new systems. So I think if we're speaking about legacy of Zanakis today, he's so, he's very relevant in terms of people exploring immersiveness of sound or building new systems. Uh, for example, even like even like Lee Gamble is working with systems in a very interesting way. Uh -huh. uh, and or anyone who's working uh, in a very noisy way or something is can certainly already make a can draw a connection yeah. to um, He also developed tools that are still being used today, yes, such as stochastic synthesis and the mm. UPIC, uh, where you um, draw sound on a graphical uh, tablet, yes. and that's how you create sound. So it's kind of like these things are still being used. One of the performances on Saturday by um, uh, Hecker and Haswell yes. was basically made in this way. So I think that a lot of the things, and, and not only simply that, because he um, developed a lot of like compositional systems that are still being used, like arborescences, which is like these um, branching like tree formations that uh, are ways to structure melody over time. Like these things are still being used by people, but they originated it's, from. Yeah, it's it's some some of its niche, I think. Like well, you know, yeah, it's not like everyone or something. <laughs> uh, in in the press release talking about your work, uh, it's mentioned that you ref you use stochastic distribution and sieve theory yourself. Mm -hmm, yeah. And could you maybe expand a bit more? Because I, I guess it applies to the drumming. Mm. Uh, so we, we just I, I wanted to ask you to explain it yeah, a bit more, it how it works in your work. Yeah. So so with the idea of uh, let's, let's maybe we could speak of the the percussionists in the space and also what we're doing, also with the drums and things on stage. The stochastic distribution is a way to uh, kind of compose with shifting densities. So for example, you'll hear you hear in the beginning or quite early in the piece. So rather than kind of it's rather composing 
with density, so more dense, less dense. And, and also going in and out of grid, no? Yeah. Like... And the, the many parts of the piece yesterday are really about setting kind of stochastic processes in motion. People are moving through the space, we're playing different percussion instruments. There's a movement with the, uh, with the fabrics kind of mm. aligned through the space. Um, the, uh, the string players and bass clarinet are moving through the space. Um, yeah, these kinds of things are all set in motion and everyone has, um, everyone has the score, everyone has clear um, instructions, guidelines, what to do, like the space to kind of, and so in this sense it's also stochastic. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's, um, it's described, the parameters are described. And it's also working with like clusters. But there, there's some freedom groups. within it. Yeah. It's the description, huh? You said the framework, but still have space for different probabilities. Exactly. And different chance of. Totally, things. totally. And then there are there are kind of clear markers that are queuing next changes and where things need to meet. Yeah. So there's like a, there's a kind of organ there's certainly an organization to everything happening. There's a it's it's. Um, a composed sort of like it has a structure it absolutely has a structure but within there there is kind of movement mm. for mm. elements and choices to make relationship changes yeah but the uh, but in terms of like the activation of the uh, peripheral drummers they're they're really specific cues that they're listening for yes so mm -hmm. it's uh, it's not just that they're coming in randomly let's say because no. that would be too chaotic mm. <laughs> and, and so many people involved yeah. yeah a lot of people involved no. yeah, and this and, and this stuff uh, the this piece we did last night sun gazing this was the first first time we, we presented the piece and it's it's a really hybrid format it's a concert format and a format we've developed what we call sonic activation and sonic activation is uh, activating architectural space with sound mm -hmm. acoustically and through localized electronics. So for example, the first 10-15 minutes of the piece are a very good example of, of this that we explore, um, which has to do with also the uh, juxtaposition of amplified and unamplified space. So when you hear amplified sounds, you know, really embrace the fullness of the PA, mm -hmm. the sound comes to you. And when you're acoustic and you're in the space, you, you have to become, your listening has to become much more active. So to reach out to the sounds and to hear sound gyroscopically, and it, it's a fundamentally different mode of being to listen like this. And so this is this is something we we've really been exploring, especially um, in the sonic activation. Uh, also, this idea that you can um, move with the instrumentalist through space uh, and actually spatialize. Yes. So they're moving through the space in these clusters, as where you hear the um, where they're playing the shakers, where they're playing these chujubis. They're basically uh, moving on mass because if you used only one of them, you wouldn't hear it in a space that's this big. Mm -hmm. But when they move on mass, you can hear it because mm -hmm. they're moving as one cloud. Yes. And this is something that Zanak has also worked with quite often. Uh, yes. And the, the 
press release mentions uh, this new approach to different temporal existences we mm -hmm. experience and you also mentioned architecture so important for Xenaki's work and we wanted to ask about significance of Kraftwerk as this amazing historical venue and what it, what it means for you to have this festival happen here in this exact in exact site specific um, um, yeah, location. Huh? Yeah, it's I think it's an amazing environment to actually do this particular kind of festival in mm. because um, the audiences that are coming are very different than audiences that might go to like an academic presentation of Zanakis's works. Yes, and um, which is really often that's where it's happening in like more academic settings and then also like in um, like maybe halls of symphonies and places like this it's not really happening so often in a place like this in like an industrial building like this and mm. also the um, the fact that you can basically like when the pieces are being diffused the electroacoustic pieces of Zanakis are being diffused uh, the audience moves around. They're not seated. Mm. This is unusual. And this this is special because it it also changes the, the the kind of social situation. Because you know, for example, you can really push the volume in a place like this where you're, for example, you're not breaking any in any way a social etiquette by leaving the speaker field or something. Where it's a statement if you leave the concert hall when you're seated mm. or something. Mm. So there's it's this is very special and also. The Zanakis was, just to bring it back to Zanakis, was often presenting in non-concert halls. Yeah, in really, so yeah, his own practice, yeah. specific works. One was at a, the, the Polytope de Cluny, was in these baths in, in, in Cluny. There was also one in a large cathedral where he built speakers all around. So I think of Kraftwerk as an industrial cathedral. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the, the he would definitely be inspired. <laughs> and I, I think he would love yeah. the location. Uh, but also yeah. this thing that in his own work, he was, like he was saying, he was working in these spaces that were actually quite unusual and changing them so that he could work in them. Mm, but very interesting what you mentioned about movement, movement of the listening body itself, mm -hmm. and how this movement in space, how it influences our experience of time and the duration. It's exemplified by sound itself. Mm -hmm. So these things, they have to happen in sync. Hmm? They have to be experienced through these different dimensions to be really embodied. Yeah, holistically perceived, yes. Yeah, and also the, the idea of sun gazing is really uh, about dealing directly with intensity. Mm. Um, so, like what, like what we wrote in the press release about, um, um, you know, sun, using sun gazing, this kind of obscure practice of gazing at the sun to, to receive some kind of health or spiritual benefit. Um, and at the same time, it may destroy your eyes or something. So using this as a kind of uh, metaphor, to as a kind of heuristic tool to analyze uh, social um, things that we're interested in looking at. So, for example, like 
you know, this idea of prioritizing a kind of empirically derived emancipatory practice over the potential dangers of indulgence and misuse. Mm. So it's really like going hard, hard into something mm. for the potential benefit of self-discovery, wisdom, knowledge. Mm. The flip side of that is that it can, you can also get burned. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So this is the this is the kind of through that like too much intensity background of the piece of some and that somehow is also like an edge that we really are trying to explore it did we wanted to ask about this idea of emancipatory practice what is for you but how do you see audience experiencing it and what what do you want the audience to take away from experiencing your work what do you want to achieve and how could you maybe um, spread this idea of emancipation among the listeners and the participants yeah that's a that's a big question i mean i guess in, in terms of takeaway to um, to kind of center the to draw attention to the act of listening itself is something mm. that we would very much like to do so this again this juxtaposition of moving in and out of amplified space and into unamplified space um, the piece begins, it's, we set up an environment for three minutes on two stages, both everyone amplified and mm -hmm. then slowly into the whole room and then there's no longer anything amplified for the next 15 minutes or something. Uh, and in this way, and with the, there are many things, as you noticed last night, people are moving through the audience, things are intersecting and mm -hmm. this is, um, this is meant to also um, engage proximity to one another in a different in a different way. So, for example, these are kind of very non-aggressive movements to the audience or something. It's not about like uh, pushing. People are pushing through. Or like, for example, we didn't roll these piece, these two pieces were part of our piece, but these were only on the the edges. For example, because if we would push metal frames through, it's a bit too aggressive. But but uh, you say non-violent movement, but still the sound. Like we were talking, it could be very aggressive. Yes. So there's this contrast. Between but it is also about like breaking the separation between the audience and performer and yes. occupying the same space as the audience and also making them more aware of like not the stage as being the center field always and not the speakers being the center point but also just to listen to the space and also experience it in the proximity that he's saying when there's a drummer next to you you're going to experience that very differently than if it's being amplified on stage and through stage. This, this makes me also think of this kind of confusion of the source of sound itself. It's maybe changing the attention, bringing it more to the sound itself, not the source or the, the, where it comes from, the, the object, the material object. That is, that is of course very apparent when drumming, but bringing it, uh, bringing the attention more to this ephemeral feeling of sound. Yeah, also you're feeling more the periphery of the mm. room because the drummers are um, placed in the peripheral positions that where you don't see them, but you hear the sound. So you become aware. Three-dimensional yeah, awareness. Yeah. Yes. You become much more aware of like how big is actually the space. It's beyond the field of the speakers. 
you know what I mean? Because yes. most people, you're in the field of the speakers, you're either moving around within that field, mm. even if it's a multi-channel situation. But um, when you hear the periphery of the architecture, you realize like, no, you, it's actually much bigger. And you and start you, paying you, attention. You end up in this position of losing control and really giving into the sound, letting the sound take over. Yeah, somehow, and also like the the Total like, immer immersion. Yeah, because you know, I also have the feeling that a lot of the times the audience become confused because their the it's that their expectations are not met in terms of like where the sound should come from, <laughs> and therefore they they're a little bit like. What's going on? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. What's someone, coming someone next? This confusion is there, yes. And I think that this is really uh, an interesting place because you can actually really experiment somehow with the perception of people and what their expectations are in a concert situation. Yes. And, and someone asked someone asked yesterday, are you trying to confuse the people? And I, 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 wouldn't, I, wouldn't, say, I wouldn't state it like that because that sounds more like... <laughs> sorry, sorry. It's not to try to confuse them, but it's like to kind of like open Like a game of confusion and I would just, and I would say that we're more trying to create a situation where it feels like anything can happen. Yes, and yeah, this is true. Yeah, it's this, more that. Are, I would yeah. say these are different. Yeah, that these are different, I think like, that, yeah, like you're right. Really uh, decidedly going for confusion or really decidedly going mm, for No, I mean, uh, that's not what I was saying. No, no, I know, I know. <laughs> someone asked me that last night, like, you're trying... Are like, you trying to confuse us? No, <laughs> it just happens. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, but today, observing the people, you can see this huge desire of being able to see, to see, to understand. Yes. Yeah, they want to know where it's coming yes. from. Yeah. To understand, you have to see. It's also the, the you know, the, the image-based so image culture. Absolutely, we're so uh, visually based, yes. and it's so predominant. And and when you, you disperse, this, disperse these sources of sounds, you subvert it. Mm. You, you you make make people experience uh, the sound in different ways. The decentralization. Mm. Is decentralization, important. and this is your collaborative character. This is this is also about decentralization, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely, uh -huh. absolutely. And these things, these things. Um, yeah, I mean, it's um, like uh, the. We came. We arrived at the name labor through a, through yeah, a, defini what, what through a definition of, um, of labor by Marx, a more obscure definition that says uh, one's coming to be for oneself. It describes labor as this zone. It gives ontological significance to this zone of work. And so we think only yourself. Yeah, one coming to be for oneself. So we we really uh, so for example, and this also relates. Um, for us, at least, to the idea to connect to the emancipatory practice or something, and I would just offer mm. one example now. So, for example, within the piece, um, we hope uh, that everyone, every collaborator, can find this within themselves in the piece. So, for example, the dancers are not instructed to necessarily do one specific move in an exact way, but they but to go to a certain place so that they're they're having an experience for themselves as well that can be shared and with the with the performers as we go around singing in the room by hitting the drums it's, it's similar uh, you mentioned this uh, ritualistic practice that I if I, I can hardly Zara Zarostian, Zarostian. Yeah. Uh, could you expand on that? 
It's the it's the yeah. it's the oldest religion. monotheistic religion in the world that's still being practiced. It comes from Iran, from yeah, Persia. Yeah, originated there. Um, it's still being practiced, although not in Iran, because it's only Islamic. Well, there are, there are actually some there are Zoroastrians also. There's, there's, there are temples. Uh, fire and light play important themes. Zoroastrianism also influenced all of the Abrahamic religions. Mm. And what does it mean to your practice? Yeah, this is just uh, the the way that they relate to. So it, it established a duality of light and darkness, and the, and the concept of free will, um, and the, especially the pre-monotheistic Zoroastrianism and Mazdaism. Ahura Mazda is the god of light, and uh, Ariman is the god of darkness, and. The, um, I guess we use we use the relationship to to light and fire as a kind of contextualizing motif in the piece. So, for example, mm. um, you know these kind of these kind of uh, things we all know: light is wisdom, light is goodness, purity, and stuff. Knowledge, and all these things. Emancipation. Yeah, but then but then. Uh, Look at them quite critically as well, too, because it's um, um, there's a, there's a wonderful passage in the, that we use also in the in the research for this, in this for this piece in um, Cyclonopedia. It's a book of theory fiction by Reza Negarastani. Um, it's an Iranian philosopher, Iranian philosopher. popularized yeah. theory fiction as a genre. And, and he describes he describes the uh, story of uh, Ariman's coming to be into the world, where Ariman was Ariman and um, Ahura Mazda were both uh, twins inside the, the belly of their Zorvan the father of Zorvan yeah. was the kind of but the kind of genderless genderless father yes and Ariman wants to get out first so breaks out um, this is another kind of labor yeah, exactly. Not one we like to. It's a twisted tale where they're where they're conceived of ten thousand years of self sodomization, and, and then the. Uh, um, but that's how how he tells it. <laughs> in order to refer to yeah. abysmal time, but this is like it's, it's how to not. enter abysmal time. <laughs> Abysmal time. Abysmal time, the depthless time. Yeah. Uh, Where you I mean, go into the darkness to actually experience uh, the depth of time. This yeah. this was something we talked about quite a lot during our time in Berlin, the different temporalities yeah. and this in-betweenness of suspension, mm. uh, being out of sync and then <laughs> trying to be attuned to this specific space-time again, mm. you know, traveling and experiencing all these affective um, events. I think that's also the way to, to tap into this space. You can call it abysmal time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, thank you so much. Thank you for your time yeah. and totally making cool. this happen. Yeah. And we can't wait to join in and continue. It's going to be another big night tonight. Yeah. yeah. yeah.